Senate Democrats prepare for their conviction trial of Donald Trump. Trump's team lays out their defense. And President Biden becomes more radical. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is God of Freedom Show. The show is sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So if you always want to start a podcast but didn't know where to begin, Anchor is for you. Anchor is very simple to use and it is also free. All you do is simply record your audio from your phone, computer, laptop, or wherever, edit it, and then post it. You can also monetize it with sponsorships, donation, and donation buttons. You can also distribute it to slice like Apple like Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever. So check it out at anchor.fm or download the app. Again, it's anchor.fm or download the app. Okay, so we are back. I hope everyone is having such a great week. So we have a lot to get to today, so let's just jump right into it. So, um, yeah, first up is, of course, now what's being entitled as Impeachment Gate. Sorry, Impeachment Gate 2.0 2021. So, and this is, of course, the impeachment and removal of Donald Trump. Now, you're probably wondering yourself, wait a second, is he out of office? He's not president anymore? Well, I mean, they're still pushing the conviction. I mean, they, he was impeached before he left office, but now they're still trying to push for a conviction. Now, you know, put aside all the kind of weird, like, constitutional problems that come with that, we don't... There's a case to be made that you can't really convict someone who is a private citizen now and stop him from running from office. But, I mean, it's it's an ongoing debate, so it's not really fully settled quite yet. And it's a very interesting debate. But, of course, you know, the impeachment and, you know, conviction stuff is still happening. Uh, Senate Democrats are set to do their conviction trial at some point. I'm, I don't know when exactly. They'll be doing it, but they're, I guess they're calling witnesses and all that. But I'll get to all the details of that just a little bit. But first, let's start with kind of, re again, once again, you know, go through the articles of impeachment they're um, pushing out. So Article 1 is the assignment of insurrection. So, insurrection. So basically... And in case you all forgot or living under rock, of course, on January 6th, there was the moment where a bunch of crazy nut jobs decided to storm the Capitol and try to, you know, to not only harm and probably kill members of the of Congress in, in an effort to overturn the election results. And, of course, you know, they try to blame President Trump Trump for that, for saying that he, you know, incited the um, violence and wherever. But I'll get, I'll get to that in just a little bit. But first, you know, here's actually what the article says: The Constitution provides that the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment, and that the President shall be removed from office from office. On impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Further, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution prohibits any person who has engaged in insurrection 
or rebelling against the United States from holding off holding from holding office and under the United States and his conduct while president of the United States and in violation of his constitu- constitutional oath faithfully to execute the office of the president of the United States and to to the best of his ability to preserve pre- pre- sorry preserve provide protect and defend the constitution of the United States and in violation of his constitutional duty to take care to take care that the laws be faithfully executed Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States in that on January 6, 2021 pursuant to the 12th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, the Vice President of the United States and House of Representatives and the Senate met at the United States Capitol for a joint session of Congress to count the votes of the Electoral College. In the months preceding the joint sessions, President Trump repeatedly issued false statements asserting that the presidential election results were the product of a widespread voter fraud and should not be accepted by the American people or certified by the state or federal officials. Shortly before the joint session um, commenced, President Trump, sorry, President Trump addressed the crowd at the ellipse, ellipse, in Washington D.C. There, there he re- reiterated false claims that we won this election and we won it by a landslide. He also willfully made statements that, in context, encouraged and, and foreseeably resulted in lawless action at the Capitol, such as "If you don't fight like hell, you're not gonna, you're not going to have a country anymore." Thus, incited by President Trump, members of the crowd he had addressed an attempt to, among other objectives, interfere with the joint session's solemn. A constitutional duty to certify the results of the 2020 presidential election, unlawfully breached and vandalized the Capitol, injured and killed law enforcement, law enforcement personnel, and menaced members of Congress, and the Vice President, and congressional personnel, and engaged in other violent and deadly, destructive and seditious acts. President Trump's conduct on January 6, 2021, followed, followed his prior efforts to subvert and object, obstruct the certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election. Those prior efforts included a phone call on January 2, 2021, during which President Trump urged the Secretary of Secretary of State of sorry, the Secretary of State of, of the State of Georgia. Brad uh, Ravensburger to find to find enough votes to overturn the Georgia presidential election results and um, threatened Secretary Ravensburger if he if he failed to do so. In all this, President Trump gravely endangered the security of the United States, its institutions of government. He threatened the integrity of the democratic system. Interfered with the peaceful transition of power, and imperiled a co-equal branch of government. He thereby thereby betrayed his his trust as president to the manifest 
injury of the people of the United States. Wherefore, Donald John Trump, by such conduct, has demonstrated that he will remain a threat to national security, democracy, and the Constitution if allowed to remain in office, and has acted in a manner grossly incompatible with self-governance and the rule of law. Donald John Trump thus warrants impeachment and trial trial removal from office and disqualification to hold and and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. Alright, so that's article, that's the articles of impeachment against uh, President Trump, former President Trump. And so, of course, you know, the reason, like like I said, the reason why they're trying to impeach him or remove him is because he supposedly incited the violence at the Capitol. But the problem is, he didn't. I mean, you, you can't make a legal case for it because important, one important detail they conveniently left out is that he said, peacefully and patriotically, make your voices heard. Does that sound like a sign of violence to you? No. And the whole line is saying, if you don't fight like hell, you're gonna you're not gonna have a country anymore. That's sort of you can say that's sort of inflammatory, if you, maybe. But politicians use it. Not even not even just politicians. Many people use the word "fight like hell for your country" or whatever. Many 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 times over the years. That's not to say that it's okay for everyone else to use it. But when Trump says it, oh, that's an incitement of violence. That, that's that you can't hold that standard. That's a standard that would not be held, and Democrats won't hold it fairly or anything. So, honestly, really, the real agenda here is, I mean, just... What's so hilarious is that they they were so adamant about, you know, he's a threat to national security if he remains in office, or whatever. You know, they impeached him, but it took their sweet time to actually get him, get the articles of impeachment to the Senate in order to do a whole conviction trial. And they just, they just very recently, and back in a couple weeks back, gave the articles of impeachment to the Senate after Trump has left office. So, I mean, he's, again, he's not in office anymore, so what other threat can he pose? I mean, other than like making making like going around supporting other candidates during an election cycle or whatever, but I mean, you can't bar him from doing that. He has every right to do that. He has every right to speak his mind, go to go to rallies, do speaking events or whatever. He has every right to do that. So, I mean, I don't know. Really, the point of all this is is really twofold to really. Not only to keep the focus on Trump because really this is for the media right here. They want to keep the focus on Trump because really they're not paying attention to anything Biden is doing. So they're trying to make, trying to find something that's interesting, if you will. And also, this is an opportunity for Democrats to use that as a club against Republicans. And any Republican who does not vote to convict um, Donald Trump will be seeing seen as someone who supports 
the insurrection of on January 6th, and thus is just like them, just like the folks who stormed the Capitol, and is just like Donald Trump, and just like the alt right, and, and it's just like white supremacists. So really, this this is all just in just a tactic the Democrats are using, especially for for probably elections. They're going to use that against all the Republicans, saying they didn't vote to convict to convict Donald Trump. Therefore, they supported the insurrection on January 20, January six. And look, what happened on January six was evil. It was completely evil. It was bad. Now people are really overplaying it in many ways, but it is it was still very, very bad. But and but really many people saw from the beginning that they're gonna use that that day as an excuse to club conservatives overall and anyone who even supported Trump or even thought about supporting Trump is going to be lumped in with those folks. So, really, we can see the real agenda here. The real agenda is really to use this as the tactical weapon against Republicans, Republicans and conservatives. Simple as that. But really, again, the reason why he shouldn't be convicted at all is because, one, he's not in office, so it's really no point of that. And two, you can't make a case, there's no legal case of him, you know, inciting, inciting the rise in the Capitol. You cannot make a legal case in that. Any court system in the United States will turn that down immediately. You can't, you you just can't make a legal case about that, around that. And the whole thing with, you know, Brad Ravensburger here in the state of Georgia you know, it wasn't a great call for President Trump, but I've read through the transcript and I just can't find anywhere where it seemed like he actually threatened Ravensburger. I mean, that's what that's what it seemed like to me, at least. So, I know probably many people have different opinions, but that's just what I got from it. So, in the midst of all of this, you know, Trump's team has you know laid out now their defense. Against you know the impeachment stuff and everything, or uh, the conviction, and so here's actually what his team has said, has responded to. So this is for sorry. Okay, here's what it says. The 45th president of the United States, Donald John Trump, through his counsel, Bruce L. Castor Jr., and David uh, Scohan hereby responds to the, artic- to the article of impeachment lodged against him by the United States House, House of Representatives by breaking the allegations out unto eight averments av- and respectfully, goodness, what in the world? Anyways, okay, so here's the first thing. The Constitution provides that the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment and that the President shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, 
or other high crimes and misdemeanors? Answer 1. Admitted in part, denied in part, as not relevant to any any matter properly before the Senate. It is admitted, it, it is admitted that the constitutional provision at Averment 1 is accurately reproduced. It does not that the quoted provision currently applies to the 45th president of the United States since he is no longer president. The constitutional provision requires that a person actually hold office to be impeached. Since the 45th president is no longer president, the clause shall be removed from office on impeachment for is impossible It's possible, it is impossible for the Senate to accomplish, and thus the current proceeding before the Senate is void ab initio in, in as a legal nullity that runs patiently contrary to the plain language of the Constitution. Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution, Constitution states, Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to the removal of office and disqual disqualification to hold an, and enjoy an office of honor. Emphasis added. Since removal from office by the Senate of the President is a condition precedent which must, not, must occur before and jointly with disqualification to hold future office, the fact that the Senate presently is unable to remove from office the 45th president of the um, 44th president whose term has expired means that Averment 1 is therefore irrelevant to any matter before the Senate. So the argument for Averment 1 is basically that, you know, since he's no longer in office, there's really no legal way you can remove him from office because he is no longer in it, which does make sense. It has a really strong argument right there. So I'm going to continue on with this, with this just a little bit. First, but first, you got to go over to YouTube or the God of Free Ball to check it out. So not only you get the rest of the impeachment crap, but also I'm going to be going through Biden's now continuing impeachment nonsense, or no, not impeachment, but radical policy nonsense and how he supposedly ran as a as a moderate but is actually not a moderate and also the good stuff of mess of the week and remember you can find this show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts otherwise i'll see you next week this is the god of frame show Okay, so now let's uh, continue on right here. So, Averment 2. So, here's what that says. Further, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution prohibits any person who has engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States from holding any office under the United States. And this answer 2. Admitted in part and denied in part, and denied is not relevant to any matter properly before the Senate. It is admitted. 
is it it is gonna sorry it is admitted that phrases from section three of the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution are critically replicated in Averment Two. It is denied that the forty fifth forty fifth president engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. The forty fifth president believes and therefore avers that at that as a private citizen, the Senate has no jurisdiction over his ability to hold office and for the Senate to take action on this averment would constitute a, a bill of um a bill of attainder in violation of Article one section nine and clause three of the United States Constitution. The forty fifth president asked sent to dismiss averment two relating to the fourteenth amendment as moot. So here's Vermin 3. In his conduct while President of the United States in violation of the, his constitutional oath to oath faith and in violation of his constitutional oath faithfully to execute the office of the President of the United States and to the best of his ability to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States in a violation of his constitutional duty to take care of and to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And here's an answer to that. It is denied that the 45th President of the United States ever engaged in violation of his oath of office. To the contrary, at all times, Donald, Trump, Donald J. Trump fully and faithfully executed his duties as President of the United States and at all times acted to the best of his ability to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, while never engaging in any any high crimes or, dis or misdemeanors. Since the 45th president is no longer president, the clause shall be removed from office on impeachment for, for reference and at Vermin 1 above is impossible, and the current proceeding before the Senate is void ab initio, or whatever that says, as a legal nullity, Patiently contrary to the plain language of the Constitution, as the present proceedings are moot and thus a nullity to or a nullity since the 45th president cannot be removed from an office that he no longer occupies, a vermin three is irrelevant to any matter properly properly before the Senate. So obviously they're really pushing hard on the whole you know, he's not in office thing, so they can't really do anything about that since he doesn't hold office anymore. So here's the fourth averment. So this is the, part, the last one I'm going to read for now. I'm, I'm going to post the entire thing in the description of the podcast or video. But here is averment four. Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and dismeters by inciting violence against the government of the United States in that, on January 6, 2021, pursuant to the 12th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, the Vice President of the United States and the House of Representatives and the Senate met at the United States Capitol for a joint session of Congress to count the votes of the Electoral College. In the months preceding the joint session, President Trump repeatedly issued false statements asserting that the presidential election results were the product of widespread voter fraud and should not be accepted by the American people or certified by the state or federal officials. 
SF4. It is admitted on Gener- that on January 6, 2021, a joint session of Congress met with the Vice President, the House, and the Senate to count the votes of the Electoral College. It is admitted, it is admitted that after the November election, the 45th President ex- exercised his First Amendment right under the Constitution to express his, his belief that the election results were subject since, with very few exceptions under the Convenient guise of COVID nineteen, of the COVID nineteen pandemic, safeguards states' election laws and procedures were char- changed by local pol- politicians or judges without the necessary approvals from state legislators. Insufficient evidence exists upon which a reasonable jurist could conclude that the forty fifth president's statements were accurate or not, and he therefore denies they were false. Like all Americans, the 45th president is protected by the First Amendment. Indeed, he believes, and therefore averts, that the United States is unique on Earth and is unique on Earth in that its governing documents and the, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights specifically intentionally protect, protect unpopular speech from government retaliation. If the, if the First Amendment, if if sorry, if the First Amendment protected only speech that government deemed popular in current American culture, it would be no no protection no protection at all. Since the forty fifth president is no longer a president, the constitutional clause at Amendment One shall above shall be removed from office on impeachment. For it is impossible for since. The 45th president does not hold office in, in the current proceeding before the Senate is void ab initio, initio as a legal nullity, rendering Amendment 4 irrelevant to any matter properly before the Senate. So, really, the main part of the argument is, of course, the whole He's not in office, so he can't really be removed. I'm surprised, you know, really they didn't make an argument that saying that, you know, he said in his speech that he wanted it peaceful. He wanted peaceful protests. He said it in his speech. In his speech. So, that's probably one of the strongest arguments against that. But also, this is a strong argument, too. So, it's really interesting. But... I don't know, it would be very interesting to see what's going to happen from here. I just, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what witnesses they get and, you know, Trump's full-on defense and everything. But, of course, you know, at the end of the day, I don't see them successfully convicting Trump because in order to convict someone, a president, you got to have two-thirds of the Senate and there is really not... A support for two thirds of the Senate to convict him. So, and I'm pretty sure a lot of Republicans see that. So it's not, it's really not going to go anywhere, honestly. They're not going to convict him or stop him from holding office or anything. But really, that's not the, really the main point of the Democrats at this point. Again, like I said, they want to use that as a club against Republicans. And Republicans need to be careful here. I mean, yes, they should. Not really, not vote to convict him because there's no legal way, no legal 
case to make for his vision or anything. But I really hope, you know, you know, probably going to do to that. But at the same time, you know, probably got like really I'm talking about problems overall in the country. You gotta be careful about using this as a litmus test for for Republicans, because there there are some hardcore conservatives who don't like President Trump, and probably want him to be convicted, which is it is a bad argument in my opinion, but still, really our main focus at this point should be, in my opinion, to focus on. Really trying to take back the Senate and the House, as far as, far as political wise, to back, take back the Senate and the House in 2022, and really try to stop using Trump as a limits test for all Republicans. Because again, there are some hardcore conservatives out there who didn't like President Trump. So, and I do understand why. So we got to be careful with that. Alrighty. So now let's move on to Biden. So, again, I want to say a big congratulations to everyone who voted for him, especially to those conservatives who voted for him because you know, he was a moderate and tired of President Trump's big mouth or whatever. You happy now? So here's the thing right here. Throughout his entire campaign, Biden ran as a moderate. He's saying... I'm the most moderate candidate he has ever been. Um, I mean, compared to other candidates on the stage and the Democratic um, debates, he was more of a moderate. Um, although the probably the most moderate independent person was uh, Tulsi Gabbard on the stage. You know, she's really more of an independent than anything. I'm surprised she still is a liberal Democrat. But still, you know, he ran as a as a moderate, and people bought it. People do they bought it. So here's a piece, and Business Insider here is titled "Voters See Biden as More Moderate Than Trump," suggesting his attacks that Biden is the Trojan horse for the radical left aren't working. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Voters perceive Democratic nominee Joe Biden as the more moderate candidate in the 2020 presidential race, according to a new poll, signaling that President Donald Trump's strategy to paint him as a tool of radical socialists has not yet proved successful. Respondents ranked both candidates on a scale from 1 to 7, with 1 meaning very liberal and 4 meaning moderate, and 7 meaning very conservative. In a survey commissioned by Morning Consultant Politico released Wednesday, the ideal ideological makeup of the four president has, has was placed at 4.1, nearly dead center. Biden, Biden rated at 2.7, and his running mate, Senator Kamala Harris, stood at more, more to the left, 2.5, which is pretty hilarious right there. Both were closer to the middle than Trump and then Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, who ranked 5.8 and 6 respectively. 
while 20, 21% of voters were labeled Biden as moderate, only 8%, 8% said that same about Trump. To illustrate further, around 30% of respondents marked Biden as very liberal, compared with 43% who designated Trump as very conservative. The poll surveyed 1991 uh, registered voters with a margin of error of plus or minus two percentage points. Notably, the results indicate that Americans view Trump as more ideologically extreme than Biden. Meanwhile, Trump has tried to produce the opposite effect as a campaign ta- tactic, using ads or speeches in on tweets to convince the public that Biden is far left. The figures also remained hardly unchanged from the same survey conducted last month, following Biden's announcement of Harris as his vice presidential pick. Trump immediately tried to cast Harris as a radical, suggesting that she is the most liberal person in all of Congress. This is not true since Harris is not the, to the right of some of her... Wait, sorry. This is not true since Harris is, is to the right of some of her progressive House colleagues, though she was read in 20, 2009 as the most liberal... Senator by the Independent Congressional Tracker, uh, track dot U.S. Ugh, whatever. I'm not going to go there. The group tracks lawmakers' legislative moves, and Harris ranks lowest at 15% on the co-sponsoring Republican author bills that year. However, Harris' positions outside of her three-year tenure in the Senate provide a wider scope for ideological stances. On the 2020 Democratic campaign trail, she distanced herself from more progressive policies like Medicare for All received heat from her opponents and liberals alike for her actions on criminal criminal justice while she served as California Attorney General. Okay, this is hilarious right here. Because remember, at the beginning of her campaign, she ran on Medicare for All. But then she flip-flopped because, oh, she's all, well, is that really doing much for her. So, here's the reality. Harris is a complete radical. A complete radical. And you know what is a radical? Radical leftist? Biden. But for some reason, people bought it. People did buy it. Even so-called pro-life evangelicals. So, I'm pretty sure I read this before. So, this is a page called Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden. So here's what it says right here. As pro-life evangelicals, we disagree with Vice President Biden on the Democratic platform and the Democratic platform on the issue of abortion. But we believe a biblically shaped commitment to the sanctity of human life compels us to a consistent ethic of life that affirms the sanctity of human life from beginning to end. Many things that the good political decisions could change could change the story persons created in the image of God and violate the sanctity of human life. Poverty kills millions every year, so does the lack of health care and smoking. Racism kills unless we unless we quickly make major changes. Devastating climate change will kill tens of millions. Poverty, lack of accessible health care services, smoking, racism, climate change are all pro-life issues. As the National Association of Evangelicals official public policy document 
for the health of, of the nation. It says, faithful evangelical civic engagement and witness must champion a biblically balanced agenda. Therefore, we oppose one-issue political thinking because it lacks a biblical balance. Knowing that the most common reason women give birth for give for abortion is financial difficulty of another child, we appreciate of, of the number of democratic proposals that would significantly alleviate the financial burden, accessible health care, health services for all citizens, affordable child care, a minimum wage that lifts workers out of poverty. So it's all socialism. They're all... So their idea of helping the poor and providing health care is all through socialist, socialist nonsense. But again, in scripture, it doesn't say, hey, give your money to the government and let them take care of people. It says that we, as believers, followers of Christ, have the responsibility to do that. The church has the responsibility to do that. And they do. The church does do that. Despite popular opinion, the church does do that. But, and this is, I'm sorry, this is nonsense right here. Completely nonsense. And it's calling us a pro-life and vote for Biden, who supports abortion on demand, is completely laughable. On all grounds. It's ridiculous. But like I said before, it is obvious Biden is far from a moderate. And you can see that by the executive orders that he has passed. So, so far he has passed, let's see, one, let me count real quick. One, two. Sorry, I'll be right back. My computer's being slow. Come on. So in his first two weeks in office, he has passed 49 executive orders. 49. That is more than any other president in history of the United States. And there is some pretty radical stuff right here. So let's, let's start with kind of the, more of the latest ones right here. The two latest ones. So, the first two are on uh, immigration. So, the first one expands the... The first one says, expands the United States Refugee Emissions Program and rescinds the Trump policies that limited refugee emissions and required additional vetting. Okay. So, there's another repeal of some of Trump's more uh, harsher... Immigration on policies, which, I mean, doesn't make sense, and we do need more vetting in the, in the border. So, that does not make sense. So, here's the second one. Direct relevant agencies to ensure LGBTQI plus refugees and asylum seekers have equal access to protections requires the Department of State to lead a standing group to respond quickly to international LGBTQI Human rights abuses to report any annual Congress on a global LGBTQI abuses directs agencies to review Trump administration policies and resent those that are excessive with a memo within 100 days. Okay. So all that is pretty much focused on, you know, using 
using the taxpayer dollars to for nonsense right there. So here's a couple of the latest ones. Both of these are natural security. Establishes an interagency group working group to propose improvements on for recruiting, re- retaining, and supporting national security provisions. Outlines the structure the structure of National Security Council, incorporate incorporates more regular participate participation from cabinet cabinet officials focused on domestic domestic policy that influences national security. Okay, so here's some of the other latest ones. Revokes Trump's order justifying separating families at the border and creates a task force that recommends Biden steps to Biden to reunite separated families, which Trump is already doing in the first place. And like I said last week, he also pushed the Mexico City policy or rescinds the Mexico City policy, which banned the U.S. government funding for abortions outside of the United States. So our ta- our taxpayer dollars are going to other countries performing abortions, which is patently insane on all grounds. Another one says reopens enrollment on healthcare government from February 15th to February to May 15th and directs federal agencies to re-examine policies that may reduce and undermine access to affordable to the Affordable Care Act. So that's their effort to reinstate the Affordable Care Act. And another one says directs the Attorney General to not renew any federal contracts with private prisons. They're also going to be lifting Trump's ban on transgender Americans from joining the military and all that. So it's, they're pushing a $15 minimum wage. So there's some really radical left of stuff in this, in, this, in all these executive orders. And to say that, you know, he is a moderate is laughable. But we're trying to warn you guys. We're trying to warn you, no, he's not going to be moderate. He is probably he's going to be just as radical as anybody on this stage. And that's because he's going to have Kamala Harris on his side too, so kind of push him along for more radical policies. So anybody hoping that, that, that Biden was going to be a more calmer, I mean, he is, I guess, more calmer than Trump, if you will. But he is definitely far more damaging to the politics and the government, you know, policy-wise, right now than Trump ever was. But we're trying to warn you guys about that. But people insisted that nobody was a better choice because Trump is mean. But whatever. I mean, this is what you voted for. This is what you guys voted for. So maybe think about it next time when the election comes around. But really, this does have a profound effect on the culture right now. It does. And kind of going back to the evangelicals voting for Biden and everything, which does make sense. Like, this guy has many, 
radical policies, you know, funding abortion on demand, and a whole allowing transgender people, allowing like men who think they're women, and vice versa, to go into whatever um, bathrooms they want or locker rooms they want. So, I mean, Ali Stuckey has a great tweet on this. We got people in power saying boys are girls and should share girls' bathrooms, lockers, and sports teams and forcing people to fund abortions worldwide. And evangelicals for Biden will continue to claim that the country's biggest threat is the guy who's no longer a president. And this is true. I mean, I'm saying Trump was not perfect in any way. He was loudmouth. He did raise temperature a lot. But to say he he was a bigger threat to the to the United States than what Biden is right now is laughable. And any evangelical who believe that nonsense that Trump was a bigger threat than Biden is needs to rethink some things because it is really it's inexcusable to me in my opinion, really inexcusable. So, like I said, you know, this does have a profound effect on the culture and everything. So, you know, with Biden pushing these radical policies, the culture is going to naturally be affected by this. And really, it is, honestly, it's the opposite. The culture is influencing the politics right now. I mean, this is a prime example right here. So, it's a country singer named Morgan Wallen, who I was not familiar of um, until this story came out. But apparently, he got into, he, you know, he went out with friends, got drunk and everything. Apparently, he's at the N-word. And now, he's being canceled. His record labels got pulled. He was, his music was pulled from Pandora, CMT, and all sorts of other places. All because he was drunk instead of the N-word. So... Yeah, I'm not defending anyone saying the N-word or anything. It's, it's not good. But he got to look at the context. He was drunk. And to ruin his entire career over that one little mistake right there is so stupid. I'm sorry. It is It is stupid. It's completely stupid. And here's the thing. Black people are allowed to use the N-word anytime they want. For a word they say is so offensive and just... just Evil, they used it quite a lot. So that doesn't make sense at all. But Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire made this great point on Twitter. Here's what he said Morgan Wallen said the N word drunkenly to his friends. Nick Cannon publicly and proudly said that white people are subhuman animalistic savages and inferior to black people. Only one of these men suffered severe professional consequences. Now tell me who has the privilege. He has a great point. For so-called white privilege? I mean, seriously. I mean, obviously Morgan Wallen's got his career completely destroyed. But Nick Cannon, who said something overtly and purposely bigoted and evil and sinful? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And he didn't even apologize for that. He also said something anti-Semitic, which... He did apologize for that, but he didn't apologize for this one. This is just as bad, if not even more bad. So, yeah, this is what our culture is is up against right here. This is what we're up against. Saying these double standards, and really, 
it's all about it's it's nonsense. It's complete and utter nonsense. I'm sorry it is. But this is what we're gonna have to fight back against this. We're gonna have to really stand up, you know, especially for Christians, you know, keep hold on hold to the faith, you know, hold to the you know, hold to the word of God and stand up for your beliefs. It's simple it's really it's gonna be as simple as that. It may be hard at times, but it needs to happen. Because we kinda allow the culture to come in and destroy people for simply disagreeing. And so it's gonna be a hard fight, but it needs to be fought. Alrighty, so So something I really want to mention real quick to kind of uh a little change I'm gonna be making for the ch- for the show, so it's nothing, nothing too big, honestly. But one thing I really want to get into more is kind of more theological topics. So what I'm gonna be doing starting next week is actually having a section of the show, probably the last last section, last section of the show, if you will, to a to one theological topic. And it's not really going to be anything relevant to the current situation we're in right now. I'm just going to pick a topic, and I'm going to, you know, look through it and study it and talk about it. So, there's going to be all sorts, of, all sorts of different things, like, you know... Um, for example, next week, I'm actually going to be doing one on uh, predestination, and that, and that whole debate going on in the church. So, that's going to be interesting, interesting to go through. And everything so so I can't wait to see can't wait to go through that and see because I mean there's a lot of topics to talk about so I'm definitely gonna work you know through that and hopefully you know do it right do justice and everything alrighty so now let's move on to scripture so we're gonna be continuing 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 to go through the book of Acts. So last week we left off with, um, we're in chapter 4, and we left off at verse 22. So we're going to continue on from verse 23 to probably about 31. So remember, you can follow me along if you want, and I'll be in the NASB. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people and the people's device futile thing devise futile things? The kings of the earth took um their stand, and the rulers were gathered together. Against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly, in this city there were, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, among, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, your purpose, predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their of their threats. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend 
while you extend your hand to, to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So this is the aftermath of them being held by the chief priests in Jerusalem, being questioned and demanded not to speak about, you know, Jesus anymore, but they refused. And because, of, you know, they went out to pray to God and everything. And you know, that's when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, like I said, and they began to speak the word of God in, um, in the streets. So... So next week we're going to be continuing on with on um, verse twenty thirty two, and finishing up chapter four. So we're going to be so we do that next week. So now let's move on to the good stuff and bad stuff of the week. So some good stuff of the week. So um, let's going to be let's talk about one division again because something crazy just happened in this latest episode. So spoilers: if you had not seen the latest, latest episode of One Division. That'll be episode 5. Go. Get out. Skip with this part. Because something big does happen. So I'm going to give you a count of three <laughs> to leave. Send the positive button. That's... Alright. So I assume you guys are gone. So basically, um, kind of recap what happened. So in episode 4... We, we learned that Wanda is in fact in charge or is um, responsible for this entire creation of this whole other reality, apparently. We don't know how she did it, but she apparently has the power. She does have the power in the clouds to do that, so isn't reasonable to see that she has the power to do that here in the, in the movie verse. But so this takes place in the 80s. In the 80s. Because every episode, except for episode 4, kind of took place in different decades. Episode 1 was in the 50s. Episode 2 was in the 60s. Episode 3 was in the 70s. And episode 5 was in the 80s. And here, and it's about, you know, they're raising their kids. The two kids and everything. And Vision starts to become more suspicious than what Wanda is doing. And the you know, the outside world, they're trying to figure out what is going on and how to fix this. But the big spoiler that happened was that, so if you recall in um, Age of Ultron, she one had a brother named uh, Pietro, I'm probably getting his name wrong, who, aka Quicksilver, who was the equivalent of the Flash to Marvel. So, and he died of Age, in the Age of Ultron. So, in this episode, he returned. Yeah, um, Quicksilver returned. Now, when I first saw it, kind of the way it did it, it kind of showed the back of his head first. So it's like, oh, it, it, I, I immediately thought, oh, it's Quicksilver. So we get to see. I'm going to put the picture on the screen right here, but I see this guy again. But no, it wasn't. They apparently couldn't get the same actor to come on um, on the as Quicksilver anymore. That's why they killed him off in the first place, and they couldn't get him back. So they decided to go with a different guy as Quicksilver. And who did they go with? Well, 
here's what here's the guy they went with, right here. So here's the quickest server they went with. You're not gonna, sorry. Yeah, here's the guy on the screen. Now, those of you who are not familiar with this one, with this quickest server, you probably recognize it. But there's a lot of people who do recognize it, recognize him. Sorry, because he's the same um, quickest server from the X-Men series. That's like a picture right here. Yeah, it's the same guy who played Quicksilver in the X-Men series. So, basically what this is, is an introduction of the multiverse. Gone like fully. Because, you know, there were hints in all around in the show, but this is for the first time it's actually really hinted at. So this, from what I'm getting at, probably what happened was, you know, with Wanda creating this creating this entire reality, she also somehow tapped in, into the multiverse and somehow pulled this guy into her reality. And there are some people saying, oh, it's probably a different quicksilver, not necessarily him, which um, I guess, but it's very convenient that they chose this guy who played quicksilver in another <laughs> series. So, yeah. And they're doing the same thing with Spider-Man. They're having a, uh, Jamie Foxx's Electro. They have an Alfred, uh, the guy who played um, Doc Gock in Spider-Man 2. They're bringing him back for the third Spider-Man. So, the multiverse is at play here. So, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. Alrighty, so now time to best of the week. So it's the best of the week. So now let's talk about AOC. So AOC recently put out a video saying about talking about her experience with the Capitol riots and everything, how she was scared for her life and everything. So when I first saw the video, you know, um, I, uh, I mean, I understood it because I, I, I thought you know her office, her, her office was in the Capitol building, so. You know, she probably was in danger and everything. From what she said, she was in immediate danger. Which, I mean, so I did feel bad for her with that. But it turns out, her office was not in the Capitol building. It's actually in the, the Cannon building, which is about 0.3 miles away from the Capitol building. Which was not breached. It could have been breached, but it wasn't breached. So... Not saying that she wasn't lying or anything. She wasn't really lying about where she was because she didn't say she was in the Capitol building. But she did exaggerate her experience, I would say, at least. But that's not the main story of this. So, this report from the Daily Wire said, you know, report AOC was not inside the Capitol building during the breach. So, Snopes decided to fact check it. They decided to fact check this thing. So normally when uh, Snopes tries to fact check different things, what in the world is going on with my computer? Ugh. Sorry, I'll be right back. Okay, I don't know what's going on with with my computer on, or really Google, so I just pulled it on my phone right here. So again. The day where I said, you know, she was in the Capitol building, 
and the Snopes rated it as mostly false. And here's what they said about it. What's true, Ocasio-Cortez wasn't in the main Capitol building where the House and the Senate chambers were are located. Okay, that's what the Post said. That's exactly what the Post said. was false. However, Ocasio-Cortez never claimed to be in the Capitol building when the attack on the Capitol began. Ocasio was, as she stated, in her congressional office, which is located in a network office of office buildings immediately surrounding the Capitol, and her, and her office building was one of the two buildings that were evacuated. Way to go, Snopes. Way to go. I mean, Day Wire said, you know, she wasn't a Capitol, her office is not a Capitol building. But, you know, Snopes says, you know, that is true, but it lacks context, if you will. So, this is the garbage, this is the garbage stuff a fact checkers would do. The so-called fact checkers. So, way to go. Way to go. So, yeah. That was all fun. So, anyways, I think that's all I have for this episode. So, I'll be back here next week with all the latest. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is The God of Freedom Show. If you enjoyed this episode of The God of Freedom Show, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening or watching.